All right, good morning, everybody. Everybody doing good today? All right, sweet. We all survived the, the crazy snow and ice. And I had to, um, my Bible college was down in Portland this uh, Thursday, Friday, and Saturday. And let me tell you, if you guys think Puyallup kind of slows down and shuts down in the snow, Portland literally shut down. We, we stayed at a, um, at a, a, a hotel and next to it, right next to it was a shopping plaza where there was, a, there was a, a dollar store and a Target and a bunch of places and it was inclement weather signs everywhere closed down. And so when we, we tried to get dinner um, on Thursday night, our choices and within a five mile radius were 7-Eleven and McDonald's. I chose 7-Eleven, I can't do McDonald's. But, um, but yeah, it was, it was pretty crazy, but I'm glad that... Um, I'm, I'm glad that we're all here, that everyone is good, and it was, uh, it was insane just seeing it. I was talking with um, someone here this morning who was also down in Portland. It kind of looked like this post-apocalyptic area, cars off to the side, and um, some of the cars even we had seen that uh, they were taken up, tires were gone, and then they were lowered back down. So if you abandoned your car, other people took advantage of your abandoned car. It, it, was, it was pretty crazy, but, um, but I will say I do love the snow. And having been uh, born and raised my whole life in California where snow is non-existent, coming to a place where we can have snow and then a couple days later it's gone is like the perfect amount of snow. And, um, and, and I love it. And I love being here with you guys and, and I love seeing you here with us this morning. Turn your Bibles to Philippians chapter 2. And we're going we're gonna to continue diving in and going through this one month to live challenge that we've been talking about for a few weeks now. Now, as you're turning there, um, do, does anybody here... Maybe you don't now, but have you been through a period in life where you liked roller coasters? I, I, even to this day, I love roller coasters. Now, I found out the hard way when I was a youth pastor just uh, about three years ago that I can't handle them as best I could when I was a teen. So we, we did a trip to Six Flags Discovery Kingdom in Vallejo, California, and I hadn't been on roller, like big roller coasters in a while. And so I decided, you know, I was with the youth students, we were going to hit every single roller coaster. And about three coasters in, I thought I was going to die. And it wasn't afraid. It wasn't, like, I still love the thrill. I love the loops. But man, I got off and I was like, I, oh, oh I, just, I, I was at that point where I felt like I was still spinning. And then the students went on a ride called the Wonder Woman ride where you sit in this big circle and it spins and it goes up and down like that. And that's when I tapped out. So I, I can't handle rides that spin, let alone spin now and swinging back and forth. So, so I was done. But I do love roller coasters still. I may not be able to do all of them, but, but I love a roller coaster. Um, one of our favorite uh, places that we've, we've gone to as a family is Disneyland, and they have the Incredicoaster, and I love the Incredicoaster, and Aurora and I will ride it and do different poses for the cameras, and I, 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 I considered myself at one point to be a roller coaster connoisseur. I loved going on them. Now, what if you decided to go to a roller coaster, and let's say you had an opportunity to be one of the first people ever to be on this brand new state-of-the-art roller coaster, and you go there. And it has one of the steepest drops of any roller coaster that's ever been built. Does more upside down loops, and you're one of the first to ride. So the big day arrives, you're first in line, you get in the car, and you notice that when you get in, there's a steering wheel. And you know, the steering wheels normally are, you know, roller coaster is one of those things where you gotta trust that that thing's on the track, right? You don't get to steer, you just get to enjoy the ride. But there's a steering wheel there. And so you ask the attendant, you say, what's this steering wheel for? And they say, oh, so here's, here's what's going to happen. This is a very unique roller coaster where as it's riding, you've got to steer this thing. And make sure that as you're steering, you keep it on track. Because if you don't steer perfectly, the wheels are going to come off and the coaster will just fly into oblivion. Buckle up. 
How many people would still ride that coaster? I know you would raise your hand, Theoden. I knew you would. Right? If you had any sanity, right, you would probably say, no, thank you. <laughs> this, this thrill ride is not worth my life. I'm done. I'm getting off. But how would you feel if I told you that's exactly what we do almost every day in life? We do this all the time in life. I think life can be a lot like a roller coaster. Lots of ups and downs, lots of loops, lots of thrills, lots of scary climbs, lots of exciting moments. But there are also dark tunnels. There are times where we think the wheels are coming off the track, where we can make one wrong turn. We think that it's, it's over. Things are just getting derailed now. We're not going to make it through. But at the same time, we insist on steering it ourselves. We insist on saying, I'm going to get through this. I'm not going to let God steer me. I'm going to steer this even if I risk going off the rails. We try to control our lives. We try to control other people in our lives. We try to control every aspect of what we're doing, and we want it to go the way we go. But often when we do that, it doesn't take long for, for that train to, to come off the track, right? Things to get derailed, things to go in a way that we did not want them to, and we crash and burn. Sometimes we don't realize we did that until it's too late. We realize we made that turn and we look back and go, oh, I was supposed to go that way, but now I'm way off course. In this one month to live challenge, we've, we've been living this month, right, as if it's our last. That's been the goal. Live this month as if you found out you had one month left to live, and not that any of us that, that I know of, right, I mean, we, we know tomorrow's not guaranteed, but, but Lord willing, we've got a lot of time left. We've got years left, and that's, that's, you know, I, I hope I have many, many years left, but what would change if we found out we have one month left to live? And we look through these principles of how Jesus lived, and with the, these principles that we're learning, hopefully we can take these each and every day, and we can love deeper. We can love completely. And today we're going to talk about um, a principle that I think is really, really hard to, hard to live out, one of the hardest ones. Now, a lot of this comes from Jesus' last month. And, and ironically enough, you know, Jesus, one month, you know, 30 days left, led to Easter Sunday. We're about two months to Easter right now. So, so as, as we plan and approach this, we, think we're too, we're, we know we're two months from Easter. Um, I believe that if we, if we live this out, we take these principles and we really dive into them, this Easter will be the most prepared we are for Easter. And I don't mean with, with the new clothes and the, 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 the new Easter baskets and fun festivities, but I mean on a spiritual level, I think we can be the most prepared to celebrate Easter than we've ever been if we really apply all these things we've been learning into our lives. Now, this third principle, this one month to live lifestyle is difficult. And, and I want us to know that this is really powerful, but we got to know where the power comes from. If, if we take these principles and apply them, know that these are things that we cannot do by ourselves. These really do we, they involve us inviting God to be a part of this, inviting God to lead us through these things. And through him and through his power, we see the ability to exercise and execute these things out. There's no way we can do this without God and how we tap into his power. And today we'll talk about how when we learn humbly, when we learn humbly, we'll see how God fills us with his power. When we learn humbly, God fills us with his power. So Philippians chapter two, starting in verse eight, it says this. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name. The name that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. I love that. Every knee should bow in heaven, on earth, and under the earth. Would you pray with me this morning? Uh, God, I thank you for today. I thank you for your word. I thank you, God, that you gave us an incredible example of what it is to, to live and learn humbly. 
I pray today is that as, as we unpack this principle, you, you allow us to, to understand what it means in our lives to be humble, what it means to have you take control, God, and that, and that you just revolutionize something in each and every heart here today. We thank you, living. Everybody said, amen. amen. Now, in that passage, some key, so a couple words that I really want us to focus on. If you, you underline or circle that word humble and underline the word obedient, he humbled himself and became obedient to this. So, so if you want to highlight those or circle those, and then even draw a little line connecting those, because those two words are so tied together in a walk with Jesus. Being humbled and obedient. They, they, they go hand in hand. Now, what humility is not saying, humility is not saying, I am no good. I can't do anything right. I am worthless. I'm just a servant. Don't look at me. Don't think about me. I, I can't do anything. That, that's not humility. That's just being weird. Um, and and it, throughout life, you'll come across a lot of weird people. But, but humility is not saying that you are nothing. Humility is placing yourself under the authorities that God has put in your life. And then ultimately placing yourself under God's authority and obeying him. Placing yourself under the authority that God's put in your life and placing yourself under his authority and obeying him. Humility and obedience, these go hand in hand. And that's what this passage is saying. And, and you see from this passage that God exalted Jesus to the highest place. That this was God in the flesh walking among us, right? The most humble one to ever walk the earth was also lifted up to the highest place beyond the earth. And Jesus did this. He said, if you humble yourself, God will raise you up. Now, I, I know in my life that if, if I tries to, if I tries, sorry, if that's my Vallejo coming out. If I try to raise myself up, you know what God does? He likes to put me right back in my place. God likes to humble me when I try to raise myself up. I, I've seen it so many times in my life where I, I'm like, I'm going to take control of my wheel. I'm going to do this. And then God goes, actually, Dustin, I'm not going to let you do that. I'm going to do this. And since you tried to do that, there's going to be a little bit of, of changing in, in your trajectory here. But that's what this third principle is really all about, letting God gain control. Learning humbly, humbly really means letting God steer. Let God steer your life. Let God be the one that gives you your direction. Let God be the one that is guiding and steering this, this road that you're on. So many times I try to raise up, and, and when you try to raise your, yourself up, you try to raise and, and elevate yourself, you end up losing things. You become proud, and Scripture says God humbles the proud. And today we're going to look at a really great leader in Scripture and how he had to learn a really hard way in a time where he started elevating himself, how God took him and he was humbled. But in that humility, we see Jesus then elevate and raise him and do incredible things with him. But it's not until he learns that he can't steer his own life. Simon Peter. This is a guy that we come across a lot in Scripture. He, he did a lot of amazing things with God, but he also did a lot of things that were very Simon Peter-centered. Things that he thought he was doing right. Where he took control and Jesus had to course correct. I know that uh, Pastor Chris talked about Simon, and he used a phrase that I'll never forget. He, Pastor Chris had said, have you ever met someone who you think, man, that person is a lot? Simon Peter was a lot. He was that guy. He did a whole lot, but God used him in amazing ways. God put him back on track, gave him a whole new purpose, filled him with his power to do incredible things. And we're going to learn how to follow Peter's example today. Because I think we can all relate to, to, to Peter. Have, have you ever had a problem in life? Or you've seen someone go through something, and your exact phrase is, I would never do that. Right? I think we, we can all pinpoint someone where we say that. that. That person did this. I can't believe they said that. can't believe they did that. I would never do that. And then what happens in your life? You do it. 
You've done, or you do something similar, but you know, you put someone on this level of that is the worst. Wow. And then you fall into that category of I am the worst. I, I fell into that. I simply blew it. Well, we're going to see what Peter did. And I think a lot of us today would say, I can't believe Peter did that. Why would he do that? I would never do that. But I think that we do. We do that. But when we see Peter blow it, we're also going to see God say, I am the God of the second chance. I am the God of the third chance. I am the God of a lot of chances. And I can still use you. I still have a plan and a purpose for your life. Peter became a great leader, but had to start with him learning how to be a great follower. I think some of the, the greatest leaders that, that, I, that I follow and that, that I listen to have that quality about them. They learn how to be good followers. They learn how to be good followers of Jesus. They know how to submit themselves to authority. They know how to submit themselves to, to, to not just God's authority, but the authority that, of God that, has, that God, of, God has put in people around them. They don't have authority issues, right? Whenever someone has authority issues and you want to try and raid and lead, your, lead yourself, I think that's, that's a, a fault of a leader. You're not looking just to raise yourself. You're looking to learn from all of those around you. Some of the great leaders are the greatest learners of all time. Those who have learned to be followers of Jesus follow Christ with their own heart. And this is what happens with Simon Peter here. He learned to be a great follower and God raised him up to be a great leader. And there are three things from Simon Peter's life that we're going to unpack today about this learning humbly that I think we can learn and apply to our own lives. And the first thing we have to learn from what Peter does is we have to learn from our losses. I know me personally, I have to learn from my losses. Everybody loses in life. If you're competitive, I'm sorry, it will happen someday. You will lose in life. I lost a game of kids sequence to my six-year-old daughter, Avery. I also lost a memory game to my six-year-old daughter, Avery. Bummer, right? But everybody will lose something in life. But we've got to learn from failures. Not just the, the fun, silly ones, but, but serious failures. We've got to learn from failures. So, uh, Jesus told Simon Peter that you are going to be the rock. He said, you are going to be the foundation. I will build my church on you. And when Jesus said that, Peter had it perfect from that point on, right? No. This guy messed up again and again and again. But Jesus changed his name. He said, your name used to be Simon. I'm going to change it to Peter, which literally means rock. You will be the rock. Jesus was telling Peter, I'm going to do a draft right now for like church picks, and you are pick number one. I am picking you. you are, this is getting built on your shoulders. You are going to be the foundation for the church. I'm going to build it on you. And Peter, very much like you or I, you know, when someone tells you that you have that much value, what can we tend to do? <laughs> That's right, I am. I do have that value, right? Yeah. Yeah, and Jesus said it. So, hey, everyone look at me now. And, and what happens with Peter is, I think I got to his head a little bit. There, there was a little bit of pride going on in Peter's life at this point. Because there's, on the night that Jesus was with his disciples for the Last Supper, Jesus says this. He says, guys, we're about to go through something really, really hard. This is going to be the most challenging point of, of life. As a matter of fact, something terrible is going to happen to me. I'm going to get betrayed. We're going to get challenged. It's about to hit the fan, guys. It is going to happen, and one of you is going to turn away from me. And you know what Peter says? <laughs> no. No, Jesus, no, there, there's no way. Jesus, Peter, I can imagine Peter going, all right, all right, Jesus, I see these other guys, but you know, they're not, you're not going to build a church on them. So I can see them messing up. 
but, but I'm the guy. I would never do that. I, I've got your back from now until eternity. Nothing will ever happen. I will never turn away from you. You can count on me. You may not be able to count on other people, Jesus, but, but you've got me to the end. I'll die with you if I have to, but don't worry about me. I'm the champion. I'm the rock. You name me the rock. I'm in. And Jesus looked at Peter, and he said, hey, Peter, before the rooster crows this morning, three times you will deny me. You will tell people you don't know me. And that's exactly what happened. Three times before the morning came, Peter denied Jesus. See, Peter was proud. He was telling Jesus, we're going to change the world. I'm going to change the world. You did this in me. I will never do this to you. And Jesus said, but you will. But you will. He thought he had it all. He was trying to control that steering wheel in his life. He knew what Jesus called him to do. And he said, but now I've got this from here. I will never. I will never. I will only. He thought he had it all together but then the wheels came off the track. And before the rooster crowed, he denied Jesus three times. Three times. And look at what happens when he does it. Right after he denied Jesus for the third time, Luke chapter 22 says it like this, starting in verse 61. It says, The Lord turned and looked straight at Peter. Then Peter remembered the word the Lord had spoken to him. Before the rooster crows today, you will disown me three times. And he went outside and wept bitterly. Everyone, that, that is a deep, that's a picture of deep regret. That's a picture of deep bitterness. Jesus didn't say a word. Didn't say a word. I get the chills talking about it. He just looked at him. And in that moment, Peter knew what had happened. But here's the thing. Peter didn't look at Jesus with scornful eyes. Or Jesus didn't look at Peter with scornful eyes. He didn't look at him with the, you see? You know, looked at it. He looked at him with compassion. He looked straight into Peter's heart. He saw the regret. He saw the guilt. He saw the shame. Peter went outside and wept because he knew what he wept because he knew what he had done. Maybe, maybe today you feel like the wheels have come off. And you feel like if Jesus looks at me right now, all I'm gonna be able to do is turn and weep because man, I have just I have gone off the rails. I have done something that I don't I don't want him to look at me right now. Maybe your, your business is derailed. Your morals have derailed. Your marriage has derailed. Maybe you've experienced an emotional crash and just things have fallen off your track. But when Jesus looks at you, he doesn't look and see, man, what a disaster. Man, what a horrible person. He looks at your heart because he loves your heart. He looks at you. He sees the regret. He sees the guilt and he sees the shame. But he says this. He says, you know what? I look at you and I still have a plan. I look at you and I still love I look at you and I still see my child. Because of the cross, our failures are never the final word. They're never the final say. The final say is always God's. He has the plan. He's not done with you. He still has a purpose. He gets to set us on track every single time. He gets the one, he's the one that gave us his everything and he's gonna give us the power to make it right. But we've gotta let him look at us and we gotta look right back at him. I'm thankful that God is the God of a second chance. I'm thankful that Peter found out because he learned from his losses. Later on, we see Peter come back to Jesus, and there's, there's some steps that he has to take, but we see Jesus redeem him and use him in phenomenal ways. But not everyone learns from their losses, right? Sometimes people get to that point where they've, they've messed up, and then they live in that failure. They live in that, and that, that what, that's what guards and and drives the rest of their life when Jesus says, no, that's not what defines you. I define you, and you are a child of God, and I've got a plan and a purpose. Come back to me, and let's do it. But we've got to learn from our failure. There's a couple things to, to, to think, though, when we, learn, when we do this. First is we've got to take responsibility for our failure. 
Take responsibility for it. Proverbs 28, 13 says, a man who refuses to admit his mistakes can never be successful, but if he confesses and forsakes them, he gets another chance. We, we, can, uh, we can live very easily in the, the no-fault society, the no-blame game. You know, it's not my fault, it's your fault. Well, here's why I, that really wasn't mine at all. But, but it's not easy often to, to own up to your mistakes, to say, I, I did that, that's my mistake. But if we're going to change and take responsibility, we've got to start by looking in the mirror. We've got to start by saying, this, this is where I've done it, right? This, this is where I have fallen short, where I have messed up. If I'm going to learn, I've got to take responsibility for my part in the failure, and, and Peter, I, again, why I think he was dealing with some pride issues, because just a few months before this happened, he was literally arguing with Jesus about who's going to be the greatest and next to him in heaven. Like, Jesus, who's going to be at your right? Who's going to be at your left? It's going to be me, right? I'm, I'm going to be at your right hand. And he was, he was feeling really proud about what he was doing, and Jesus had to humble him. See, see Peter thought God needed him to do these things. He thought Jesus was very lucky to have him on the team, to be at that point where you go, you know what, where you're arguing with people, literally saying, one day when we get to heaven, Jesus is going to be on his throne, and I am on his right-hand side. Talk to him about it. He'll tell you. That's where Peter was. But there's, there's a little secret here that it may be a tough pill to swallow. God doesn't need me. God, God doesn't need us. If God wants to do something, he's going to do it. But what's great is God wants us. God chooses us. He chooses to use us. When Peter failed, he crashed and burned. He thought God could never use him again. He thought God would never use him again. He thought God was saying, you know what, Peter, you blew it. You give up, you know, you've, you've lost your chance. The church will no longer be built on you. You're done. But it was just the opposite. God said, you know what, Peter, in this moment now where you turned away and you're like, wow, I messed up. This is where God says, I get to use you. I will build this on you. I may not be able to use you in your pride, but I can use you in your humility. I will use you in your humility. I know that God won't use me when I'm proud, because when I'm proud and I do something, who gets the credit? Who do I give the credit to? It's me, right? When, when, when we're proud of something we've done, we take the credit for it. But when we, are, when we go in the stance of humility, that's when God gets to use us, because now God knows we're going to give him the credit. We turn it all back to him, and then his glory is seen, not our own personal glory. And it's when Peter is totally humbled with what he's done. When he, when he loses his pride, that's when Jesus elevates him to incredible levels. We got to let our pride get cut out from under us. Let Jesus use our humility and do great things through it. When, when people are at the end of their life, when, when it comes down to that last month or last week to live, you know what one of the first things to go is? Pride goes. Pride is gone. When, when you literally have someone taking care of every aspect of your life, and I mean every aspect, all you have left is humility. You've got to humble yourself to that point. When you have someone taking care of everything, you don't have much pride left to give. And I think that's, on, that's honestly how we need to live our lives, not just at that point, but through the rest of our life. Live with that humility take, not the prideful take. There are too many times where, where I blow up with pride and I try to take control of the wheel and take control of, of my life, control my problems, control my pain, and then the wheels come off the track. Sometimes I think, well, well, God needs me to do this or it won't get done. God doesn't need me on those things, but he wants to use me. He wants me, and I, I think that's so much better than needing someone. He doesn't need, but he wants. That's a great feeling to know that God loves me so much he invites me to be a part of this with him. He chooses to use each and every one of us. Peter thought this, God can never use me again. After Jesus was crucified, Peter ran. He ran and hid. He was going back to his old life. He did not want to be a part of it because he thought he was done. 
But that was the opposite. That's when, when God finally got to use him. When I come to the place where I lose my pride, I know that's when God can use me the most. When I'm the weakest, God's the strongest. When I realize it has to be, that it has to come, when I realize that it has to be God and I come to a place where I give up and give him the wheel, that's where he says, Dustin, we can do so many things now because you've given me control. You've put your pride aside and you're letting me do it. But I know that when I'm, when I'm struggling with God for the wheel, that's when it's not gonna work out. It's like God telling me, Dustin, if you're, if you're grabbing the wheel from me, you're trying to wrestle with me, and you're restless and anxious, I can't really do much with that. You've got to stop struggling. You've got to stop telling me what direction to turn. Dustin, let me control. And that's when i got to say, okay, God, and I let go. But how many times do we do that? We say, all right, God, I'm going to give you the wheel. God, turn left. God, turn left. God, turn left. No, no, no. God, you missed the turn. All right, God, let's, let's flip around. We've got this, you know. I, I wish my GPS would, would insult me sometimes because, you know, I just, <laughs> Dustin, you, you dummy, turn left. <laughs> but sometimes, but we do that to God sometimes. We say, God, you're in control, but I wish you would turn right here. When in all reality, we've got to say, God, you know what's best. We've got to let God dictate the speed. We've got to let God dictate the turns. Sometimes, you know, we, we can't look at God and say, God, you're driving like an organ driver. Why are we so slow? Why is this so slow? Having just gone through Portland again, man, we, you, once you cross into to Oregon, everyone goes 10 below the speed limit. It's ridiculous. But we do that to God sometimes. God, just speed up. God, this would work better for me if you would just do this. That's not giving God control. That's having your hands on the wheel. And then we have to learn when God says, you know, if you want me to drive, you cannot sit in the front seat with me. You've got to move out. You've got to let me have sole possession of this seat. You're going to have to move over. I'm glad God doesn't do what my dad did when we would go on camping trips. How many of you guys had parents that would be like, you know, you're a kid in the back, you're goofing off, and maybe if you're a kid in here, you've heard your dad say it. Um, you know, you're driving, and you're, you're doing things you shouldn't be doing. And you, you know, if you do that one more time, I will pull this car over. I will kick you out, and there will be major consequences. My dad would do that. We'd be, in the, we'd be driving in the car, and I remember, so again, 15 kids in my family. There was one point, you know, driving from the Bay Area, California, we drove to Walla Walla, Washington to visit my grandparents. That was a long drive, and in a 15-passenger van with kids that are hungry and need to use the restroom, that's, I can only imagine my dad, the angst we gave him. And, you know, we were supposed to be buckled up and, you know, following all the rules, but we were goofing off, and we were tossing things back and forth, and then one of my brother's tossed something to the front, and it hit my dad in the back of the head as he was driving. That van pulled over so fast. We got out of the van, and we were, again, you, when you're in the car for that long of a time, the shoes and socks are off. You're all trying to be comfy. It was snowing and cold, and he was like, get out, Dustin, Joel, Andrew, Josh, out of the car. No, we were, all, we were the four, all right? Out of the car. We got out of the car. We're standing in the snow, and he was scolding us, and when we got back in the car, it was a very quiet next leg of the trip because he, he laid into us. How many of you guys have been there? Parents saying it. I will pull this car over or your parent has pulled the car over, right? <clears throat> now, when God does that, I am so glad. I am so glad that God doesn't pull the car over and kick us out. God doesn't pull over and kick us out. God says, I love you. I will I will step out of the seat and let you, if you're going to drive, you can drive. You're going to live with these consequences. You're going to have to go this route, but you can drive. But I love that he doesn't kick us out. 
He's right there saying, are you going to let me drive yet? Are you going to let me drive yet? When I allow him to drive, that's when I'm at rest. When I allow him to drive, I get to move from restlessness to rest. But I have to admit my part of this. Admit my part, take responsibility, and let God take it over. And once we admit our part, we then gotta, we've got to let go of our guilt. After Christ rose from the dead, there was an angel at the tomb. And this is what the angel says in Mark 16, 7. It says, but go tell his disciples and Peter, he is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him just as he told you. Go tell his disciples and Peter. You guys notice it says that? Tell his disciples and Peter. And Peter. Peter is still included. I've heard some people say that it says this, you know, go, go tell the disciples and Peter because at that point Peter was out of the group. But I read it totally opposite. When I read that, I see God affirming, you know what, Peter, you never were out of the group. You pulled yourself out of the group. You, you ran away. You don't want to be part of it. But go tell the disciples and Peter. He is still included. Even though he denied Jesus, Jesus did not deny him. Jesus did not deny him. God still had a plan. Those are powerful words. He's saying, I'm not done with you yet. I can use you. You've lost your pride. You're in this place of, of wondering what, you can, what can be done with you. Now I get to use you and make you an incredible leader in this church. Sometimes the hardest person to forgive is yourself. The hardest person for Peter to forgive was himself. He felt like he could never be used by God again. He felt like he couldn't do it because of what he had done. But God put him back in the mix and said, I can use you. Let's get you back on track. I actually did something today. Um, this morning, I had my laptop, and it's a laptop that I use here for work. It's the church's laptop. I take it back and forth all the time, and I have this little backpack, this uh, carrying bag that I use. And this morning, I came in. I'm doing my morning routine here. I turned, and I, my bag was not zipped. Laptop went out. Laptop went boom. And I remember just going, no, opening it up, thinking, okay, I now have the Snowflake app on my screen. Right? It's a giant snowflake, always Christmas. And uh, I remember thinking, shoot, I can't believe I dropped the laptop. This wasn't a, the laptop slowing down, the laptop just going, oh, it's you know, reaching the end of its life. It's, I broke it. I did it. And I, I just could not believe, I'd never, I've never in my life to this day dropped a laptop or computer and broken it. Today was the day. And I was like, what a great way to start my morning. Oh, I couldn't believe I did it, right? So, so I'm sharing with, with a dear friend of mine, like, hey, this is what I did this morning. And we're kind of talking about, like, hey, well, you know, this, we, we, can, we can replace it or to get it fixed. And I was like, oh, I know, but that's money that I didn't want to spend, money that I don't, I don't want church to spend. Like, this is, this is my mistake. And you know what he said? He said, let me ask you a couple questions. <laughs> Are you perfect? I was like, well, that's a deep question this morning, right? I mean, Gosh, hit me with a heavy one. So, no, I'm not perfect. Did you do it on purpose? No. But then he asked, he said, if someone else here at church did something like that to something at church, would you extend them grace? I said, of course. I've done it, a few, I've done it before on things. He goes, then why don't you extend yourself the same grace? Why don't you forgive yourself? And then, of course, I'm looking through my notes, and I'm like, that's one of my points this morning. Why? <laughs> All right. Thank you, God, for these, right? Who do you think you are that you can't forgive yourself when God has already forgiven you? Who do you think you are that you can't forgive yourself when God has already forgiven you? That's something I learned this morning, right? All of us, I think, need to live in that. If we've done something, let go of your guilt. God's forgiven you. Don't hold on to it. He's not holding on to it. Let it go. Forgive yourself. Take responsibility. Receive forgiveness. 
and move forward. Learn from your losses. Secondly, after we learn from our losses, surrender to God's strength. Surrender to God's strength. Learn from your losses, take responsibility, <coughs> move forward, surrender to God. It's, it's our failures and weaknesses. We talked about this a few weeks ago, right? It's our failures and weaknesses that those really turn us to God. Remember Paul in the New Testament? He described himself often as having a thorn in his flesh. He said it all the time. There's a thorn in my flesh. And he prayed consistently for this thorn to be removed from his flesh. <coughs> Guess what it never says in Scripture? That the thorn was removed from Paul's flesh. It never says it was removed. And, and people talk about what it is, but, but it, it never says that it was removed. People have speculated what it was but it never says it was removed. But it was a weakness, and he prayed to be healed from it. But as far as we know, God didn't heal it from him. God said, no, we're gonna use this. And look at Paul's response in 2 Corinthians 12. He says, each time, he said, my grace is all you need. My power works best in weakness. Paul said, so now I am glad to boast about my weakness so that the power of Christ can work through me. Paul knew that that thorn in flesh, the thing that was making him weak, that was an opportunity for God to show his strength. There are things in our life that, that we may say, man, this, this is what makes me weak. And the, those are opportunities not for us to say, man, I am horrible. It's an opportunity for us to say, this is how God can use this. This is how God can be magnified and glorified through this weakness. The very weakness we may try to hide may be the greatest thing God can reveal and the greatest thing God can use about our lives. God may want to use that more than anything, especially if we're the ones trying to hide it. When we're proud, he won't use it. I don't think he will because we'll take the credit. But when we know we're weak, when we know it's a struggle, that's when we can say, God can say, I will use this and people will see that it's me because this is something you're struggling with. When I feel insecure, when I feel fearful, I know that's when God shines through. Um, I, I think I've shared this before. Um, every Sunday morning, every single Sunday morning, I feel like I'm gonna throw up. Every morning, when I get out of bed in the morning, I get ready for, for this. It's, it's the nervous jitters. And then when I grab my computer, it was magnified by like a thousand. But every Sunday morning before I get up here to speak, it's, it's my, my morning routine. I can't eat breakfast because I'm afraid of what will happen if I eat breakfast. But, but I, I come here and I pray over this church and I, I go over my notes and I'm getting ready, but I, I feel nauseous and queasy. And that's my insecurity. That, that, that's my own fe feeling the weight of what I feel like God has called me to do. And I, I think about the fact that I'm going to be preaching to like 80 to 100 people, a million if you count everyone online. But... But I think, God, what am I going to do? I, 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 I think this. I go, God, I, I've got to do something great. I, I, I've got to bring a word that, that brings people in. I, I, want them to, I want them to laugh. I want them to feel challenged, God. This is, this is all on me. And then you know what God reminds me? Dustin, it's not all on you. Dustin, I'm going to use you. Dustin, it's my word that's going to change their lives. It's not your word. It is going to be me. I, I, I think I need something that's going to grab attention because if I don't give them something good, I'm going to waste all these people's time. I feel that pressure, but God reminds me, Dustin, I'm going to do it through you. Surrender to me. Let me speak. Let me speak. And I get to know, you know what, God, in my insecurities, that's where you're going to be lifted up. God, that's where your word's going to shine. That's where it's going to be your words, not mine, that shine through. God, this is your show. One of the reasons I, I got this uh, tattooed on my arm was a constant reminder for me. It says, steal my show. It is never about me on this stage. It is never about me. It is always about what God is doing through this stage, what God is doing through this place, what God is doing through the worship team, what God is throwing, doing through children's ministry. This is all God's show. I want him to be magnified more than anything. <clears throat> You see, I can't change a life. 
If I try to change a life, that puts on too much pressure. That, that, that's too much, right? But I can be a vessel that God uses. I can be a vessel that God fills. I can be a vessel that plants a seed that then I get to see God do incredible work through. God gets to use us in incredible ways through our weakness and in our weakness. I don't want to hide my weaknesses. I don't want to hide my insecurities. That's why I, I share with you guys uh, life stories about what I struggle with at home and the way, the way I feel like God convicting in me because I know God can use those to do amazing things. God can use all of our insecurities and all of our weaknesses to do incredible things when we give them up to him. Let him be the one that uses our weakness for his glory. Let him fill us up. Let him raise us up. Let him use us. Let him teach us over and over and over again that if we try to do it ourselves, he will also be the one that humbles us. He has a million and one ways of humbling each and every one of us. He wants us to surrender to his strength, to be used by him, and in our very weaknesses, let him be elevated. If you had no weaknesses, you know what I think we would do? We would never trust God. Why would we have to, right? If we were totally perfect, there's no weakness whatsoever, we would have no reason to turn it over to God. But because we are flawed, because we're imperfect, because we mess up, we get to say, God, here's, here's, here's my brokenness. Here's how I can't do it. And then we get to see how he can. We'd, I don't want to be so arrogant that people don't want to be around me. I want people to know that my heart empathizes with others. My heart loves others. My weakness is like everybody else's weakness. We have them. We get to learn from our losses. We get to learn humbly and surrender to God. And then through that, the last thing today is when we, we do these things, we then get to pursue God's path. Pursue his path, not ours. Psalm 119.32 says, I run in the path of your commands for you have set my heart free. I love what it says that. I run in the path of your commands. Doesn't I mosey along in your path? I, I lackadaisically think about your path. I run in your path, the path of your commands, for you have set my heart free. I've discovered that, man, when you're in the middle of God's will and you see God doing amazing things, you know what you, know you want to do? You want to run. You want to keep going. When you, when you see God's work, you see God, his glory shining around, the things that, that's happening, you, wanna, you can't help but just be en encompassed and engulfed, and you want to run in that path. But when you start doing things on your own and things go sideways, that's when, that's when things start to, you don't want to run anymore. But that's when you realize you're on your own path. When you're on that path, though, you want to go full throttle. You don't want to sit back. You don't want to sit back and say, no, I don't need to do anything. You, you want to be a part of it because it's all about him. Now, have you ever, I, I, I love movies. I, I love movies. Um, sometimes I, I like to, if there's someone else that, that knows a lot of movies, I like to see how much of a conversation we can have just in movie quotes. It's a, it's, it's a lot of fun. I've seen lots of movies. I've spent way too much time watching them, but I love being engulfed in another universe, right? Just seeing the adventure people go on. But I love adventure movies especially. Adventure where there's thrill and danger and challenges. But, but you know in movies when there's, there's like an expedition and a group of people going to do something, and then there's a group of those young 20s or those, those dumb people and teens who decide, all right, they're going that way. We're going to go this way. What happens to that group? Depending on the genre, they may never make it back, right? It's usually the adventure happens and not all of them make it back. And like I said, if you're watching a scary movie, probably none of them are going to make it back. But what happens to that group? They get lost. They get lost because they went off and did their own thing. Now, if it's a Hallmark movie, they're going to find true love. They're going to make it back. They'll even get a dog with them when they make it back, right? That's how Hallmark does it. But the point is this. God gives you a direction and a path. And the path is challenging, 
But if you stay with him, you let him be your guide, you let him direct you and stay behind him on this path, it may be challenging, but it's going to be rewarding. And it's going to be the best path ever. And the timing, when you get to that destination, it may be a long one, but it is perfect every single time. It can feel like times we're going way fast when you're staying in the middle of God's will. But if you ever veer outside of his wheel and, stay, and you take the wheel for yourself or you go off on your own, your own trail, that's when you crash. That's when you burn. That's when things go south. The good news is this, though. When we crash, we have God's attention. God is aware. God brings us back every single time because he is the God of the second chance the God of the third chance, the God of the fourth chance. He will bring you back every single time when we let him. Ultimately, our goal is to follow Christ's example. Matthew eleven twenty nine 29 says this. Jesus said this, take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, my burden is light. I think we sang that this morning. My yoke is easy, my burden is light. Highlight that word, rest. Whenever I'm restless, I often find it's because I am trying to wrestle away from God. I try to take the steering wheel. When I'm anxious and stressed in my restless spirits, because I'm trying to gain the control. But when I allow him in, when I allow him control, I find that peace. I find that rest, and I find his perfect will. So how about you? Are you at rest today? Are you restless today? I would say, if you want to experience the peace and rest of God, put pride aside humbly step into his world, humbly step into his control and see what he can do. Amen. I'd like to invite the worship team up and invite you to stand with me this morning as we come to a close. If you're, if you're restless like I've been many times, restless like I get on, on Sunday mornings even, you're trying to wrestle the, the control away from God, I want to invite you to do something today. Um, we, we talked about connection cards. And if you're in the very front row, you can reach behind you and grab a connection card. But if, if you're in a place today where you say, you know what, you know what, Pastor Dustin, I... I'm a believer. I believe in God, but man, you would not believe what I've done in my life. And I'm at a point right now where I think it is, I don't know if God can use me or God's been using me because I have just blown it in so many ways. And I've been in control of so many things, but I'm ready to give it up. I'm ready today to say, you know what, God, I'm going to let you take the wheel. I don't want to drive my own life. This is too stressful. This is too stressful. I give up control. I just want to rest. What I want to invite you to do right now is take that connection card Put your name on it, and on the back where it says prayer comments, just write the word rest. Drop it in the tithe box in the back, and I'll pray for you this week. So you know what? This, God, give rest to this person. Allow them to have, allow them to give you control. Or maybe today you would say, you know what, Pastor, I've never given the wheel to God. I've never said, Jesus, I'm all in. God, I want you to have control, and I've never made that decision. I want you to take that card. If you want, put your name on it. Just write the word wheel, and I'll know what you mean. And I'll pray for you this week that you give that wheel fully to God, that you say, you know what? Today marks the first day where I say, Jesus, you're driving. You are driving. I'm all in on letting you drive this thing. But if you feel, if you feel led to write either of those on cards, I would love for you to share that with me so I can pray for you this week. And let's, as a church, make that commitment together. You know what? We're in this together. We are going to move forward humbly with God and let him control where we go. Amen? God, I thank you, and I love you. God, I love that you, uh, you want us. You love us, and you choose to use us, God. 
I pray that whatever in our lives we're holding on to, whatever, whatever pride we may have, whatever we, we may say, God, this is what I want to do, we're able to push it aside and say, God, I want you to instead. God, I give you control. I give you my heart. I give you my life. I give you the wheel, God. Let me follow your path. Let me be on board fully with you at all times. Amen. If you're online today, I want to invite you to write those words down. If you just want to write rest or wheel, write it down so we can pray for you online as well. If you want prayer, click on prayer on the button and someone can be connected with you right now to pray. But don't leave today not making a decision to say, God, I give you everything I am. Amen? Amen.